evidence and answers. What prompted the Protestant Reformation? How does the Roman Catholic Church's doctrine of salvation differ from the Bible? One of the key doctrines that drove Martin Luther to challenge the Roman Catholic Church was the doctrine of justification by faith alone. So what is the difference between the Roman Catholic teaching and the Protestant teaching on salvation? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an international speaker, teacher, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In this episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat explains one of the key doctrines that led to the Protestant Reformation and how Roman Catholicism deviates from the biblical teaching on salvation. Now, here is our host and Bible scholar, Pat Zucran, with a message entitled, Justification by Faith Alone. Going through a series that Pastor Jason is in which we are commemorating the 500th year anniversary of one of the greatest events not only in church history, but in Western civilization, the Reformation. And before I begin, just want to thank uh, many of you here for your support for Evidence and Answers. We look forward to many years of the proclamation and the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we're talking about one of the great events in Western civilization known as the Reformation, which officially begins in 1517, actually October of 1517. So this marks the 500th year of the Reformation. If you're from a Catholic background or part of the Catholic Church, you're always welcome here. And I hope the things that I share, you don't take as a personal attack of some kind. Simply sharing the events that led up to the Protestant Reformation and the differences between Catholicism and the Protestant churches and what led to the Protestant Reformation here. Now, over the centuries, Catholicism had deviated from biblical teaching and as a result had embraced uh, deviant doctrines and practices. And men arose from within calling for reform and reformation, calling for a return to biblical teachings, right? Such men as John Wycliffe and John Huss Perhaps you never heard of them. The reason is they were burned at the stake. So their call for reform did not last too long as they were condemned by the church and burned at the stake. But the same thing that the Reformation fathers were calling for, men such as these were calling for from within the church to go back to biblical teachings. Well, one man arose and his the father of the Reformation, Martin Luther, born in 1483. And his call for reform took root and managed to spread throughout Europe. Martin Luther was a man, devout Christian, studying to be a lawyer. He wanted to be a lawyer, and he was caught in a great thunderstorm one night while riding on his donkey. And a lightning bolt struck a tree right nearby, and it was so powerful, it threw him off the horse. And so he cried out, St. Anne, save me, I'll become a monk. And she did so, and he did so. All right, so he ended up going into the priesthood. The official date of the Reformation begins in 1517, as Martin Luther began to study the scriptures, he saw how... Roman Catholicism had deviated from several significant points from biblical teaching. 
And so in 1517, he pinned on the door of the Wittenberg Church here in Germany what is known as the 99 Thesis, points challenging Catholic teaching. All right. He pointed out biblical teaching and challenged what he felt was unbiblical teaching from the Catholic Church. Now, when you do this, you are challenging for a debate. That's simply what you are doing. This is a common practice. This was not unusual. And unfortunately, Martin Luther was condemned by the church. But because he was able to translate many of his writings into the common German language from Latin and translate the New Testament from Latin into German, the German princes and the German people were able to read these writings from Martin Luther and read the New Testament. And the Protestant Reformation took hold there in Germany. And the princes in Germany then protected Martin Luther from the Pope and the Emperor. And that's why the Protestant Reformation was able to take root. And Luther was able to lead the Reformation. Now, the four questions that Protestants were asking and answered in a brand new way are these. How is a person saved? How does a person get in right standing with God? Second, where does religious authority lie? Does it lie in the church, in the traditions, or in the Word of God alone? What is the church? And finally, what is the essence of Christian living? Those were the four questions, key questions, that were addressed in the Protestant Reformation, which the Protestant Reformation answered in a new way. Now, what launched the Protestant Reformation was question number one. How is a person saved? How is a person come into right standing with God? Now, there's three parts to our salvation, okay? Three parts to our salvation. Justification happens first. How are we made right with God? Okay? How are we justified before a holy and infinite and majestic God? Okay? How does a sinful man become right with God? Second is sanctification. After justification, sanctification is how we become like Christ. Okay? How we grow. That's the call to discipleship. And third is glorification our eternal state, our heavenly state. Those are the three parts of salvation right there. Okay, I hope you understand that. There's a big confusion when you put one and two together. When you put one and two together, you end up with a faith and works kinds of salvation. Or you end up with what we call the Galatian heresy. Okay, and many of the cults and other groups that deviate from the gospel combine one and two, get one and two confused, and put them together. So, the part where we differ from the Catholic Church is number one, justification. How are we made right with God? And this is what led to the Protestant Reformation. How are we justified before God? So on two and three, we may agree, but on number one is where we disagree. Now, the Protestant churches teach this, that justification is a free gift from God. It cannot be earned. Okay? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved 
through faith, and this not of yourselves, not of good works. Okay, it is the grace of God, not of good works that any man can boast. So it is a free gift, not faith and works, just faith alone, received and okay, given to us by the grace of God. And justification happens right when a person receives Christ. When a person says yes to Jesus, he is justified before God. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed in the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it. All right? So when you say yes to Jesus Christ, that's the day you are justified and made right before God. Ephesians 1.13 says you are sealed in the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Eternal life is yours from the moment you say yes to Jesus Christ. And that eternal and right standing before God cannot be lost or taken away. Romans 8 says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine or nakedness? He goes on to list that and he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor death, nor anything in all of creation will be able to, to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? Nothing. It says no power, nothing in all of creation, not even sin, can separate you from the love of God when you are in Christ Jesus. So salvation, justification, you are made right with God when you believe and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now Catholicism developed a different position over the centuries. And when Martin Luther challenged this doctrine, he was condemned by the Catholic Church. Now, the Catholic Church had a council called the Council of Trent, which lasted for about 20 years in the 1500s that responded to the Protestant Reformation. And at the Council of Trent, they condemned everything the Reformation Fathers stood for and affirmed their Catholic teaching. Okay, so the Council of Trent is very important. So that's why I'm quoting a lot from the Council of Trent. It is the Council of Trent that sealed the permanent separation of Protestant and Catholicism. Many ask me when I'm teaching church history in class, will we ever see the two come together? And I say no, because of the Council of Trent. Okay, that sealed the permanent separation of the two, I think, until Jesus returns. Okay, now Catholicism then rejected this teaching. The Council of Trent says, If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtaining the grace of justification, and that is not in any way necessary, that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. Anathema means eternally condemned. That's the strongest words of condemnation given in Galatians 1 by Paul, that's given by the Council of Trent. So here they clearly say, if anyone teaches one is justified by faith alone, you are anathema, okay, anathema. 
If anyone says that after reception of grace of justification, the guilt is so remitted and the debt of eternal punishment so blotted out to every repentant sinner so that no debt of temporal punishment remains to be discharged, either in this world or purgatory, before the gates of heaven can be opened, let him be eternally condemned. Okay, anathema. All right, so that was the judgment rendered from the Council of Trent. So you can see that on justification, this is where the Reformation and the Catholic Church differed. That's the part of salvation where we disagree, even to this day. What's the teaching by the Catholic Church? Catholicism teaches that certain things must be done by people in order to be justified and then to keep that right standing before God. So Catholicism teaches on justification. It is not permanent. It can be undone when one commits what's called mortal sin. At the Council of Trent, those who through sin have forfeited the received grace of justification can again be justified when moved by God. They exert themselves to obtain through the sacrament of penance the recovery by merits of Christ of the grace lost. All right? So, your salvation can be lost, and it's through penance. You've got to regain your justified status before God again. Okay? That's Catholic teaching. What Reformation was teaching is that they're going right to the Bible and saying, ah, once someone has been justified before God, that cannot be lost. All right? Because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Justification, then, is dependent on continued faithfulness of the individual. Okay? So salvation is based on God's grace, but it works in cooperation with human good works to bring about complete salvation okay? or complete justification before God. Well, what is the role of grace and faith according to Catholic teaching. Well, justification is based on God's grace, but God's grace alone is not sufficient. Works, good works are required to bring about complete justification for God before God. So we're infused with grace at justification, which allows us to do good works now. But in order to keep our status right before God, good works are necessary. Good works are necessary to maintain that right standing before God. So we need grace accompanied by good works. Okay? So it becomes a faith and works kind of position. You're justified by faith, and that status is kept through good works. What are some of the good works? Well, salvation is mediated, comes through the seven sacraments of the church, and is kept by all participating and taking part in the seven sacraments of the church. Baptism, okay, whether as an infant or when one comes to belief. Confession to a priest. The communion. Confirmation later as an adult. The holy orders. Matrimony and extreme unction, or what we call last rites. So, for example, one of the requirements in order to be justified before God, one must be water baptized in the church. Baptism is the first and chief sacrament of forgiveness of sins because it unites us with Christ, 
who died for our sins and rose for our justification so that we too might walk in newness of life. Justification has been merited for us by the passion of Christ. It is granted through baptism. It conforms us to the righteousness of God who justifies us. It has for its goal the glory of God and of Christ and the gift of eternal life. It is the most excellent work of God's mercy. If anyone denies that by grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is conferred in baptism, the guilt of original sin is remitted or even assert that the whole of that which has the true and proper nature of sin is not taken away, let him be forever condemned, anathema. Pretty strong terms there in the Council of Trent. That's why it's at that council the permanent separation has occurred and probably will remain till Christ returns. So Catholic theology teaches that God's grace is granted through baptism and infused into a person through the Holy Spirit. Now, after baptism, one must maintain his justified status through good works or salvation may be lost. Now, if one commits a mortal sin, how does one regain that right status before God? Well, that's the sacrament of penance, where one must confess their sins to a priest, and the priest will grant forgiveness or absolution after he prescribes certain acts of penance to be performed, whether saying so many Hail Marys or Our Fathers or giving or you know, doing works of charity or whatever he prescribes. The Catechism of the Catholic Church reads, Christ instituted the sacrament of penance for all sinful members of his church, above all for those who since baptism have fallen into grave sin and have thus lost their baptismal grace and wounded ecclesial communion. It is to them that the sacrament of penance offers a new possibility to convert and recover the grace of justification. The fathers of the church present this sacrament as the second plank of salvation after the shipwreck, which is the loss of grace. Okay, so if you commit a mortal sin, you fall from your justified position, you must confess and perform the acts of penance, to regain right status with God. Once again, the Council of Trent. As a means of regaining grace and justice, penance was at all times necessary for those who had defiled their souls with any mortal sin. Some, for example, the emperor Constantine, decided to get baptized right before he died. That way he wouldn't commit any sin, all right, and would enter sin-free into eternal life. But you're baptized, and between baptism and eternity, if you commit sins, uh, mortal sins, then you lose that justified status, and you need to go through penance to regain right status with God. Now, I remember when I was in the Philippines, you know, it's a strong Catholic country, and I was sitting with a bunch of professors from De La Salle University, one of their top universities, and we were sitting there, and they were discussing things, and finally said, okay, we have a guest here. They didn't know who I was. They said, all right, what's your name? I said, Pat Zucaran. They said, what do you do? I said, well, I host a radio show here in the Philippines, Evidence and Answers. They said, Evidence and Answers, what is that? I said, well, it's a radio show explaining, teaching, and defending truth. They said, truth? What is that, religious show? I went, well, you know, God is the source of truth. And so they go, oh, you're a pastor, you're a priest. I said, no, I'm not. You know, I host this radio show and I teach throughout, you know, the, and he said, 
And so, you know, that began the conversation going, and they began asking me all these questions. How do you know the Bible is true? How do you know God exists? Oh, no. And then at the end, one lady looked at me, the chair of one of the departments, her name was Shirley, and she said, you know, I haven't gone to confession in a long time. And I think that's a bunch of blank, 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 blank. And I said, oh, really? Why? She goes, oh, I don't want to tell my thing to a priest, you know, uh, and all that. And uh, I said, oh, okay. Well, how do you get right standing before God? And she goes, well, I guess you have to do it. Uh, you know, uh. I said, oh, yeah? And she said, so you're a priest? Well, Father, can I confess my sins to you? And I said, oh, I'm not a father. And she goes, well, aren't you a priest? I said, well, in a sense, we're all priests, right? If you, you know Christ. And she, we're a royal priesthood, children, you know? And she goes, well, okay, Father. I said, no, don't call me Father. Just call me Pat. She goes, do I, can I confess my sins to you? I said, no, I don't want to know your sins, especially you. Man, you're going to give me nightmares, man. <laughs> oh, she goes, okay, okay, oh, Reverend. And she goes, all right, Father. I said, don't call me Father. She goes, okay, Reverend, Reverend Patrick. And I said, don't call me Reverend, okay? She said, what do I call you? I said, well, you can just call me Pat. She goes, well, aren't you in the ministry? I said, yeah. She goes, so you're not a father? I said, no. And she said, well, you, I, I said, just call me Pat. And then she goes, well, okay. Well, she said, I'm very uncomfortable with that. What title should I give you? I said, your majesty, your holiness, your excellency. She goes, well, I ain't going to call I said, look, if you're going to give me a title, make it worth my while. Otherwise, you can just call me Pat. And she goes, all right. Pat, can, can I confess my sins to you? And I said, no. I said, you have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. First Timothy 2.5. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. I said, you don't have to confess anything to any priest or anyone, not to me. There's one mediator, Jesus Christ. You can go directly to the boss. And she said, you can? I said, yeah, you can. You don't need to go to someone in, in the church. We as believers in Christ stand right before, justified before God, have direct access to the boss, Jesus Christ. She was kind of surprised, all right, with all that. But that is the difference between the Protestant Reformation and Catholic teaching. We're justified and direct access to God. The summary of the Council of Trent reads this. Hence, to those who work well unto the end and trust in God, eternal life is to be offered, both as a grace mercifully promised to the sons of God through Christ Jesus and as a reward promised by God himself be faithfully given to their good works and merits. Nothing further is wanting to those justified to prevent them from being considered to have by those very works which have been done in God, fully satisfied the divine law according to the state of this life and have truly merited eternal life to be obtained in its time provided they depart in grace. You get it? And those who have faithfully worked, who have taken of the sacraments, okay, along with faith, may enter into eternal life in a state, as long as they are in the state of grace. So it becomes a faith and works kind of salvation. And Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation was teaching, uh-uh, we are justified by faith alone. Faith alone. One of the life lessons we learn from this is this. Denominations can be wrong. Just because you're in a Christian denomination doesn't mean everything they teach is right. Over the years, if you study church history, okay, denominations often deviate and go liberal. There are denominations here that teach some strange, strange things. I mean, I was just teaching in a denomination where they're ordaining gays 
you know, gay priests and performing same-sex marriages, you know, teaching God is a woman, drink from, be nourished by the breasts of her milk and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going, oh, but denominations can be wrong. Our trust is not in a denomination, but the word of God. When you get to judgment day, God's not going to ask you what denomination were you a part of. He wants to know, did you respond to the truth of his word? And it's every believer in Christ's responsibility to study and know the Word of God. Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church or Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact them through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, please visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Dr. Pat Zucker.